discussion over dinner. This is our home. I came to listen to you, to talk with you. Cause I don't want to be a stranger to find hope with you, to grow. Good evening, everyone. How are you? It's so good to see you. Thanks for being here at another discussion over dinner. Uh, to give you a little kind of news going forward, um, we will not have a discussion over dinner next month. It's April. We've got lots of stuff going on here um, at State Street. We've got our Easter and Good Friday services. You're all welcome to come to that. But we also have stuff going on at the PAC Center. We have our gardens starting and all kinds of things like that at Jackson Street. So. Um, April is a little bit of a hectic month for us, so we're going to not have one. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to also put out podcasts through our personal podcast, uh, mine called the Summer Friends Podcast. Um, but uh, join us then again in May where we're going to have a conversation on the um, Hispanic experience in LaPorte County. If you were here last month, we talked about the black experience in LaPorte County, and I thought it was just a fantastic conversation. In May, we're going to have one on the Hispanic experience and, and talk to our brothers and sisters who are Hispanic in this county and, and talk about their experience and what we can learn from that. But today, I'm very, very excited. Education topics get me, um, just I'm passionate about them because I believe that our community is only as strong as our, our education uh, and our schools are. And so uh, we believe here at State Street, obviously, that education is important because we have our, our preschool. And uh, we, we want to be partners in education here in this city, in this county. We've assembled a panel today. And it's um, uh, made up of middle school, uh, a middle school principal and two middle school uh, guidance counselors. And we're going to talk about the middle, middle school experience in Laporte. We're going to talk a little bit about what's happening uh, with middle schoolers. It might be a little different than from when you were in middle school. I know it is for, for me. Um, I next year have a middle schooler, which I'm just uh, a little bit uh, taken back by not ready to go there yet. Um, and she is, she's terrified. Um, she's terrified right now. And um, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk uh, all, about all that kind of stuff. If you're streaming with us, we welcome you as well. Uh, we're glad that you're, you're streaming with us from wherever you're at. You missed a great meal. Um, but you are as much a part of this and have a place at the table here, a discussion over dinner as well. Now you'll see um, there's a number. Uh, if you're live with us, you'll, you'll see here there's a number on the screen. You also have that number on a card on your table. You can text that number, any question that you have. It's anonymous. I don't know who asked the question, so I won't uh, shame you for that. Um, and you can send them in. This is the great thing. If you're streaming with us, you can send the questions in as well. And uh, we'll ask the panel as many questions as we find a, uh, time for and that we find appropriate. I always, uh, each, each discussion over dinner, have to filter out a couple of them. So uh, let's get started with uh, tonight's uh, conversation. She's been a professional school counselor for four years at Boston Middle School. 
She continually works to learn as much as she can to help her students and is very interested in trauma-informed care and restorative practices within school communities. As an ACE, Adverse Childhood Experiences Trainer, she understands that emotional trauma from birth through teenage years can produce adults who are dysregulated, and she strives to help middle school children she serves to learn to self-regulate so, uh, so they become productive adults. She is an advocate for her students and cares very much about them. Sarah uh, is certified in CPI, Nonviolent Crisis Intervention, and is a member of both the Indiana School Counselors Association and the National School Counselors Association. Everyone, please welcome, uh, join me in welcoming Sarah Pesmeg. You should be on, are you? Hold on. Uh, Jason will get you. Okay. Susie. Uh, she's, uh, uh, she has 25 years of edu uh, experience in education, six of those years as a high school English teacher. Oh, this isn't going to be good for me. And over 18 <laughs> years as a professional school counselor. She started as a counselor at LaPorte High School, then spent a season at Critchfield Elementary School, and is currently one of Boston Middle School's counselors. Her passion is advocating for and helping her students become the best people they can be, given any situation they are in. She's very interested in trauma-informed care, both within the community and school settings, and learns all she can about how trauma-informed care can help students and staff alike. She is a trained ACE presenter as well, and enjoys teaching others about how mental and emotional trauma can affect someone from birth through adulthood. In addition to providing information on how to help ACE adolescents and teenagers, she's also a QPR suicide trainer and helps provide training to school staff on how to help students who are in crisis. In addition to being certified in CPI and is a member of the Indiana School Counselors Association and the National School Counselors Association. Please join me in welcoming Susie Lennig. Last but not least, she's currently the principal at Boston Middle School in LaPorte and has been in education for nearly 30 years. We're not going to talk, I mean, I was like a 45-year-old, that's amazing. Um, her journey started as a family consumer science teacher at Benton Central Junior Senior High School. And where is Benton Central? Um, <laughs> in the middle of a cornfield. Okay, all right. Oh. I thought so. Um, sort of near Lafayette. Okay. Uh, Nita, do you know where Benton Central is? Okay, I thought so. She's from that area of cornfields. What's that? Ardabin? Oxford, Indiana? Uh-huh. Oh, you taught at Oxford. Um, <laughs> there you go. And Elkhart Memorial High School. She then moved into education leadership, starting first as an assistant principal at Elkhart Memorial and then as a principal at Rochester Middle School. Her feet, however, have been firmly planted at Boston Middle School since 2011, and she will serve as principal at the brand new LaPorte Middle School next year. Besides her leadership roles at Boston, she sits on many committees for LaPorte Community School Corporation, including the steering committee for the new building projects and as a board member for Slicer Champions. She's also extremely active around the state, even serving as a board member for the Indiana Middle Level Education Association. Please join me in welcoming Deb Carter. So I have to say, we, um, all four of us are actually members of a, a committee for the school uh, called GAC, and uh, we've been working together uh, for a little over a year now, or maybe a year and a half, I don't know. Um, seems, seems like forever. But um, my wife can attest that uh, I talk often about how impressed I am with the Boston Middle School staff, uh, because uh, I know um, and I can tell that your concerns are very aligned with mine, and that 
your concerns is not just for helping every student know, you know, math and reading. You also want to help every child become a better human. Um, so Deb, let's start here. Why did you get into education? Wow, you have to start with a tough question, huh? Yeah. Um, well, I probably was born with a genetic predisposition to do that because my parents are both retired educators. However, for me, I have always had a passion for, for service and I love kids. And I especially like older kids, which my sister who teaches kindergarten thinks I'm crazy. But um, I think for me, it's about, I always say to the teachers um, that I work with, and I believe this, there are the two most important jobs in the whole world are parenting first and second, education, teaching. And I tell my teachers pretty regularly that when I'm queen of the world, they're going to have whatever they want because I think it's, it's our future. It absolutely, everything about education can solve all the problems in the world. And I am so passionate about watching students um, get that aha moment where the light bulb turns on and, and I just see amazing things every single day. And for me, working with really smart educators and um, my teachers will tell you I'm a bit of a geek. I, I read a ton. Um, and getting to have great discussions with them and seeing what, what happens every day for students and knowing that that gives us a future, um, there, there's just nothing better. Mm -hmm. I've never lost that idealistic thing that it is it's just so important. I, I, I can attest that. And, and I think perhaps um, one of the things that I latch on to is mutually passionate people. Um, you don't even have to be passionate about the same things I am, but I just like to see passion, and I know you guys are passionate about what you do, and that has always impressed me. Uh, Susie, you were a teacher, then you got into guidance counseling. What happened? What, what, what did you do? What happened there? Um, Why? Well, I always had planned on being a counselor, uh, but at that time you had to be a teacher before you were a counselor, so I loved English, and I loved to write, and I loved to read, and I actually had somebody out in the audience in my ninth grade English class <laughs> when I first came here. Um, so that's how I, I became an English teacher, um, and that was at the high school. But I always knew that I would be a counselor um, because I wanted to help kids. At the time when I was in high school and uh, um, below, we didn't have people that, I, I didn't feel like there were people that could help me or that cared enough to um, look into what was going on in my life, and I wanted to make sure that no kid ever felt that way. And so that's, that's why I became counselor. That's amazing. Um, Sarah, with an H. Yes. I got, I got it wrong earlier. I sent her an email, and she kindly reminded me her last name has an H, like the Bible, um, mm -hmm. which I felt like was, was pastor. Was there a slight pastor shaming there a little bit? Because I no. felt it. Um, no, never. If, if, you weren't supposed to, if you weren't trying to. No. Um, how did you get into this? Um, I believe in second grade, I always wanted to be a teacher. And then as I grew up and um, found out about psychology, I was like, ooh, what do I do now? So um, I took a hiatus from school for a long time and went back as an adult um, in education. And it's kind of like a stepping stone. Like I see all of the mental health problems. And I figured if I work in school, I can 
get to know kids, get to know parents, get to know families, and get to know what is actually going on in society. So when I do go back for mental health counseling, I will be very grounded and understand what's going on. Um, Susie, I want to talk about something. You, you have um, been a guidance counselor um, in the three different settings. You've been yep. in high school, you've been in elementary, mm-hmm. and you've been in middle school. Um, what are what are some of the differences um, and, and like uh, that are required of a guidance counselor, um, and what kind of differences do you see in the students? And now that you're in middle school, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges for middle schoolers? Um, well, I'll start with. I guess I'll start with high school. Um, so I was in high school teaching, <clears throat> and then became a counselor there. And that for me, that was a, a pretty easy shift because I understood high school kids and um, their issues and and, um, a lot of times for high school kids I think their parents um, are at the point where they're struggling to let them go and the kids want to have more independence and so there's a lot of those types of issues and some of the um, the emotional issues that they have are a lot bigger than maybe you would have in elementary school. Mm-hmm. So when I went to elementary school, it was a whole different thing. I had never had any elementary school experience, and I actually spent six years in elementary school. I know it's a season, but it was six years um, at Critchfield. And um, uh, that, was, that was fun, and I got to teach in the classroom, which I didn't get to do in the high school. Um, high school was a lot of scheduling, um, I tried not to make it that. I tried to make sure that I saw the kids that needed to be seen and put scheduling and those kinds of things aside. And I think that our counselors in the high school still do that. They still try to put um, some more of the maybe secretarial duties that kind they Kind of have. administrative. Yeah, yeah, administrative. I mean, there are things that have to be done but um, by someone, and, and we do it fairly well because we know what we're doing with it. But they still put those to the side so they can talk to the kids. In elementary school, you get to know the kids because you're in the classrooms with them um, from kindergarten to sixth grade. So that's pretty neat. Uh, I love that. And that's really when I saw that if you want to help a child, you have to form a relationship with them. You have to form a bond. You have to um, get to know their families. And that moved me into middle school. So I actually was, I had the best, probably the best situation. I went from six years with one class straight over to the middle school with them. So I ended up having kids for eight years, uh, which I don't think any counselors ever gotten to do. Um, So those kids I know really well. They're all seniors right now, which is super cool. And I read about them and and I feel like a proud mama. And sometimes I see them and I don't know, I don't know who they are because they, they don't look the same anymore. But they'll come up to me and um, it's, it's pretty neat. But I see in middle school, and even as a parent, I think the biggest struggles, um, especially as a parent and watching other parents, um, is that we don't know what to do with our middle school kids. Because in elementary school, they do what we say, for the most part, right? Um, in high school, they're kind of independent. 
and on their own and they know what they need to do to be successful for the most part. In middle school, there are these, this whole different thing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and they're doing things that we as parents don't think they should be doing because they're trying things out and, and parents get upset and um, kids don't know what to do with themselves half the time. But they really need, in middle school, they really, really, really need people um, who care about them, that they can go to. We have a great staff at Boston, and our kids um, go to the teachers all the time. We get emails from the teachers um, about the kids and what maybe their needs are. Sarah and I have a great relationship with them. Um, we do sixth grade lunch specifically. We are the... Um, Supervisors. Supervisors there, thank mm -hmm. you. Specifically so we can get to know them, all of them. And um, and there's two of you. Um, two of us. There's two counselors at Boston. How many students do you have? 636, I believe, was the last count. And you divide it equally up between the yeah. two of you? We divide yeah. each grade by alphabet. Mm -hmm. OK, all right. So we have the same kids for three years, which is yeah. amazingly awesome. Um, Deb, uh, you, when did you start in middle school? Like, when did you start teaching or in, you know, administrating? When well, my first year at Benton Central, Benton Central is a 712 building, mm -hmm. and I was a family and consumer science teacher, so I taught two periods a day of eighth grade and the rest high school. So I had minimal exposure that first five years in teaching. Um, but as an administrator, my very first principal's job was at Rochester Middle School, 678 building. And... What, what year was this, roughly? Like, how, how long are we talking about? 2005, maybe. Okay. This is my 14th year in middle okay. school administration. 15 as an administrator, but 14 in middle school. Um, <clears throat> and when, I always thought I would be a high school administrator, quite frankly. Um, however, when I did the assistant principal's job at Memorial, I kept dealing with freshmen and thinking, what in heaven's name happened to these kids? And, you know, what, how do we deal What's with this? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Well, the, just this, the situations were really interesting. So I, I was thinking about that a lot and wondering, you know, what, what happens before we get them. And mm -hmm. my first year in, at Rochester, I was actually terrified of the sixth graders because I'd never dealt with kids that young. And I was afraid, like, they'd cry and I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> so, um, however, I ended up really enjoying it. I, my favorite first time sixth grade experience is when they go to lunch for the first time in sixth grade and they get choices and they stand like deer in the headlight and stare and they don't know what to do, so we always have to extend the lunch by about 10 minutes for about a week until they get the hang of making choices. But I get a charge out of that every year, it never gets old, so. Um, but the, the middle school situation for me is, is kind of like what Susie says, to start to do this, and why I thought it was so important is because they're in high school they've already gotten some things that are just pretty hardcore and, on how their values are and, and established and what they're going to do and that sort of thing. And it, it's really hard sometimes to make the difference that you'd like to make. Not that you can't, but it's much harder. Um, and in middle school, they're still at that beginning point where they're starting to make big life choices. And one of the things I absolutely love about that is that we can, with those the relationships that we build and the, the time that we spend with them and the, the things that we offer to them, we can help them make the better choice and to um, get connected in some way so that we can hopefully make a difference for their long-term goals. And I personally try to take, a, oh, two or three kids every year that are kind of your real honorary ones that everybody gets real frustrated with and 
teachers get real frustrated with and kind of put them under my wing and see what I can do. In a couple of years, that'll be Harry Lauks. So okay. just to let you know. Uh, thank you for warning me ahead of time. I appreciate that. Um, and I actually really like those kids. because Part of it is it's because somebody needs to because they aren't always easy to like. But I do like those kids, and I like to try to figure out what we can do to help and make a difference. And that, to me, when they come back and see me, I have kids that um, from my way back 14 years ago that still contact me and let me know they're doing okay. And, and it just, like, it's amazing, the feeling to know that you made a difference. So um, then let's talk about the changing culture, changing society. Lots, of, lots have cha- changed in your 15 years of doing this. Um, there has been. What, what do you see that kids are facing now that they didn't 15 years ago or maybe just more of or what what has changed for students experiences i think the biggest thing has been caused by technology social media she said the same same time Um, because they're exposed to everything i mean they they they're exposed to things that are just outrageous you all know if you get on YouTube and watch for a half hour, you can see anything you want to see, no matter how horrendous it might be. And kids have exposure to things that they're not intellectually ready to handle. And if the parents aren't involved in in the processing of that information, things can get really confusing for kids. And we spend a huge, huge, huge amount of time dealing with the stresses that are caused by social media. Um, And that didn't even exist when I started doing this. I mean, there weren't, people didn't have cell phones. They were big Mm -hmm. blocks and (laughs) Yeah, the Zach yeah, Morris phones. Yeah. yeah, they weren't things that people could afford or even thought anything about. And since I've started to now, that that's a complete switch of things. So to me, that's the biggest change. And, and I assume most kids have social media sites, do they? Um, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most. And you have no way, as educators, of obviously regulating those or anything yeah. like that. So it's really a... It's impacting students, and you as educators and as counselors really have no methods of like speaking into that, right? Other than get rid of your social media site or, you know, I assume a lot of bullying and stuff like that can happen through social media sites. It certainly can. Yeah. It's easy to hide behind a screen or a phone or, or, or whatever and type some mean message to somebody. Yeah, yeah. Something that you wouldn't say in, in person and those kind of things do happen. Um, do you think, because I have this theory, what do you think? Um, I think every human is looking for places to belong, all right? Do you find this, because uh, you, you joke about uh, uh, the kids, sixth grade kids coming to lunch and, you know, the choices. Uh, I'll confess here, I went to a very small school, um, uh, Bethel uh, College. It was only 2,000 students. And, um, and I, I can tell you this, I uh, lived on campus every lunch, uh, every day, I would get my lunch and go back to my room and eat by myself because I was afraid that I wouldn't have anybody to sit by, you know? Even at 18, 19 years old, this idea that I don't know if I have a place to belong here, you know? Um, how do you guys help students and like feel like they belong um, in this community, but also in the school and that they find other kids and other people that they know that who they are, not who they need to be, but who they are has a place at the table in this community. How do you guys help that along? Sarah, you want to start? Um, Well, since we're in sixth grade lunch, we can kind of tell who gets along and maybe who has the same interests. So if kiddos don't know each other, um, we try to move them around in the lunchroom to meet new people who have maybe the same interests. That's one way for sixth grade. We do it, um, I think seventh grade, they have um, 
mini courses, which are um, like twice a week, some fun activities that go on during the day, and they get to choose those um, fun activities. So once they choose and they see who's in those activities, then they kind of fit in with each other a little bit better. And I think by eighth grade, they kind of already have an idea of um, what they like, who their friends are. And you see the friend groups change every year. Mm-hmm. So I think in eighth grade, they definitely, I'm thinking of, of some kids that I have this year, um, their friend groups do start to change a little bit. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that they're doing outside of school, um, sometimes their behavior's a little riskier. And so they change their friend, friend groups that because of that. Um, or maybe they're more serious about school and their other friends aren't. So you do see a shifting of friendship groups in eighth grade, and it's kind of interesting to watch. But it also um, is very stressful for the kids when they're changing those groups because they um, don't want to hurt, hurt each other and they're um, worried that they're doing the wrong thing. So um, we try to talk to them about that a lot too. I think too, the, the more you can get kids involved in extracurricular things, the more likely they are to feel like they found some place to fit in. So I really encourage participation in music or sports or clubs so that they can find a peer group that is has similar interests to them and then they have a built-in kind of peer group right away. And that helps them in high school as well. So I'm, I'm a big promoter of extracurriculars because I think that that's a great way to sort of push yourself into a, a fun thing that you like mm-hmm. to do with, that other kids also like to do. And the other thing I think that's really helped with our kids, especially at Boston, is that we are a service learning school, 100%. That is an absolute passion of mine. What, what, what does that mean, a service learning school? Um, I don't know if anybody knows this, but uh, middle school kids are fairly egocentric. They pretty much think the world revolves <laughs> around them. If you've raised any of them, you probably know that. Um, and so one of the things that we try to do is promote giving back, mm-hmm. service to give back, so because that, that feels good and it makes people feel good. And um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, but Susie and Sarah can tell you something they do with a group of kids that I think is amazing, mm-hmm. and they just did it this week again. But um, we do, through Builders Club and Student Council and... Um, just all kinds of organizations. We are forever doing things to give back. We adopted 16 or 17 families this year for the Salvation Army to presents for the kids, um, food, et cetera. We do the the food drive every year. We do um, the basketball game with staff versus students um, for Riley Hospital and for um, the American Heart Association and give thousands of dollars that way. We do the volleyball game that that funds the camps for the children with autism. We do, um, we have these um, mini courses that Sarah talked about. They have a philanthropy group that does really cool activities. They have given money to pet shelters and to um, that playground that's down from us. They donated money to, to do equipment for that. We've Kids last year did uh, raised enough money and water to take water to Flint, Michigan. They actually drove it up and gave it to a church and with some money to go with it. I mean, just I could go on for a half yeah, an hour. Yeah. Um, but the, the the bottom line is is that when you do something for others, and I consider myself a service leader, and when you do something for others, it makes you know that something matters and it feels good. 
And so I think that that's a way to help kids. We take some of our most difficult kids and when they are successful in one of those activities, you see this amazing moment. And you two need to tell them what you do with, your, with some of these children that are sometimes challenging. Well, now I gotta know, what do you do? <laughs> you go ahead. Um, we noticed a couple years ago how some kiddos fall through the cracks, maybe because they're quiet and shy, they don't really have tons of confidence or leadership skills, but they're all amazing kids. Um, so we wrote a grant to get some money to start going to Oakwood Manor Assisted Living. So I think for the first two years, we just took a boys group. We learned how to drive that little white bus. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, so we do that. And um, we were taking just boys for a little bit and we were planting flowers, just going to have lunch with the residents there. And then um, this year we decided to add a girls group. And these kiddos love it. They love it. It's amazing. The, yeah. Yeah. The, the growth that they, uh, I can, there's one boy that I'm thinking of in, in particular who he's not shy at all, but the first time that we went there, he did not, <laughs> he did not want to go in because he was afraid that he would say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or who do I talk to or where should I sit? And this is not a kid who normally is like that, but part of this, the idea of this is to help them with their confidence level. And um, by now, we've been going since August. Mm -hmm. He is um, the first one on the bus. He goes in and, and talks to all the different residents, sits down with them. Um, the one who's probably most excited about going yeah. each time. So it took him a little while to get there, but the growth that he has had in the confidence level, um, the confidence in himself, and even the way he communicates with adults, especially um, those people, you know, the, the people, the residents, it's awesome. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's I, our I, favorite thing. I, I love this idea of service learning, and I think, it, it like I said, it, it teaches the whole, the whole student. Let's get into a little bit, I think a lot of people are interested in, uh, obviously, um, Deb, you said you're on the committee for the new schools, new buildings, lots of construction happening around LaPorte school systems. Yeah, there lots is. Lots of building. Um, and uh, maybe explain a little bit, because um, I think this was a, a, a question that I think a lot of people had that didn't understand. There's not actually one school there. There's two schools, right? Okay. Explain a bit, little bit how it's divided. Yeah. Sure. Um, it's on what we're calling it the uh, Kessling Intermediate Campus, but it houses two schools that are, are joined together with some shared space. Um, one side, the, the current Kessling Campus is being renovated and it will be called the Kessling Intermediate School and it will house the fifth and sixth graders incoming. The other side that I'm going to be the principal of, the 7-8 building, is going to be called LaPorte Middle School. And that's, if you go by, that's the big construction, it looks like a giant V. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to house all of our seventh and eighth graders. And we're going to have shared space in the cafeteria, the media center, um, some large gyms, um, the elective classes, we share elective teachers. H however, the academics are going to be, the fifth and sixth graders will be solely in that one building. They have separate entrances, separate offices, but we do have some shared space. So Mr. Wilson will be the principal of the 5-6 building. 
so we're we're super excited about it. Can I tell a little bit about some of the changes, or should I wait on that? No, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Very excited because um, we are going to be able to do some things that have never been done in the middle school in Laporte before. And I actually don't know any middle schools that are doing what we are doing. And I've done some research on this because trying to schedule it has been keeping me awake at night. But. <laughs> We'll figure it out. What is it? Um, we are allowing our students to choose elective classes. Our 7th and 8th grade students will be allowed to choose their electives for the first time. Um, their academics will be placed based on their abilities and, and you know how well they're doing and what they need to do. But then they also get to choose electives. And we're offering some electives that we've off never offered before that are also really exciting. For instance, um, we're at offering some agriculture classes. And one of the agriculture classes can earn a, a high school credit for kids before they get to high school. We're going to be offering Spanish for the 7th and 8th graders. And they'll take first semester Spanish, high school Spanish will be offered in 7th grade. And then second semester in 8th grade. And when they complete it, they will have a high school credit for Spanish. Um, we're offering a class called Preparing for College and Careers that has been traditionally offered as for, for freshmen. They'll be offered in 8th grade. And that's also for high school credit. Um, so there's the kids can end up having two or three credits depending on what they take are when they go to high to, school. My wife's not going to be happy with this. Are you trying to get my daughter out of our house quicker to college? Because my wife already cries about her going to college and she's in fifth grade. So <laughs> no, that's not the intent. The intent is to address something new that's happened in the state um, called the career pathways, and we are. That's another way to get a diploma in the state of Indiana, and it's to give kids exposure to things that they might be interested in ahead of time to help them kind of think about what types of careers they might be interested in and um, try some things first to get them aligned with their choices in the high school and make that transition a better transition. So they're going to be allowed to try some things ahead of time and get, have some options that they haven't had before. We're going to also have a lot of um, STEM kind of courses, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. And we're, we have a class called um, Robotics, and we are going to have a class that's called um, Computer Science for Innovators and Makers, which is coding and things like that. We're going to have a medical detectives class. Um, detectives? Detectives. That's yes. fascinating. There's, and they're all through the Project Lead the Way type classes, and we have teachers that are going to be going through trainings to do these things. And kids are going to be allowed to try some really interesting things and really um, kind of figure out what it is that they're going to be passionate about, and hopefully that'll help them make better choices as they move into the high school. That's the idea. We're working closely with the high school staff um, to try to decide how we're going to do things. In fact, I've kind of pil pilfered a couple of their teachers that'll be our teachers next year. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, I was going to say, so you've got so. some teachers that are sixth graders, uh, sixth grade teachers, mm -hmm. so you're also losing some of the teachers too, right? Uh, well, I told them that I would still be available because, you know, I have a heart for all of them. Yeah. No what, but are you, yes, I are you losing, losing any of your guidance counselors? Well, we're splitting them up, interestingly enough. You guys want to tell them how this operates? Um, I'll be a fifth grade counselor for L through Z. The last name's L through Z. Hey, and then a seventh grade counselor for the last name's L through Z. And um, Sarah will be sixth grade A through K <laughs> and eighth grade A through K. <clears throat> and then what we're going to do, Sarah and I fought very hard for this um, from the beginning of, of this whole thing that we follow our kids the whole way through. So I'll be with my fifth fifth graders through sixth, seventh, and eighth. Oh, great. And the seventh graders from seven to eight, and then loop back around. And same with Sarah. So she'll follow the sixth graders, seventh and eighth. So we'll be looping with them 
Um, and Susie, why, why was that so important to you that you wanted to, you know, you wanted to make sure that happened? Is it the consistency or? Um, well, consistency helps a lot, but you really get to know the kids when you go year to year with them. Um, you know the issues that they have within their families. They don't have to re-explain it. The parents don't have to re-explain things 10,000 times to a different person or learn to trust a different person. But I think it's very hard for middle school kids to automatically trust somebody. And so um, if you are able to loop with them, then you don't have to worry about that. Great. So, and it is easier for the parents, too, because mm -hmm. they always know who to call. Um, I've got lots of questions coming in. I want to encourage you, if you're streaming with us um, or if you're in the room, um, go ahead and text the questions in. We're going to start getting to those questions. If you're by someone that doesn't have a phone um, and they would like to ask a question, help them out, if you will, and send that in. And uh, we're going to start getting to some of your questions. Um, here's a question, and whoever wants to answer it can answer it. We know about what kids should know from an academic standpoint, but for parents of upper elementary, so like third and fourth graders, what, if anything, can we do to get them prepared for middle school from a social perspective? You know, in parentheses, sex, drugs, fitting in, etc. Yeah, go ahead. I would say um, talk to your kids about social media, for sure. That's a start. Um, that's a really big thing, and I think that uh, we as parents can help um, raise our kids to be kind, caring human beings and learn to speak nicely to each other and respectfully, not, not even maybe nicely. Sometimes you need to be um, a certain way with somebody, but you can be respectful. And so I think that's the first thing that we need to do from kindergarten all the way up because um, social media, is a, it's, a, it's a big thing in middle school. Um, and um, the fourth and fifth grade kids are already using that. So we don't want to have problems with that when they get to middle school. So as a, this is obviously just your guys' opinions, but as professionals, do you, do you think, how, how, at what age do you think social media for children is appropriate? Or would you keep them off it forever? <laughs> it, yes. <laughs> if I had my way, the queen of the world thing, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, I think that if a parent is very diligent and has all their passwords and checks it daily, and I do mean daily, and stays on top of it, that some social media can be okay. But by some, I mean very limited. Um, however, what tends to happen is that children find all kinds of ways to get around what their parents might not might know. There's all kinds of things. We've actually had a, a lady come in from the state several years in a row to talk about cyberbullying and cyber safety and all kinds of things. And what disturbs me almost more than anything else is that we offer an evening event for that too. And there might be 20 parents that come. And my concern about that is, is that I would say 95%, and this is not an exaggeration, 95% of the conflicts that the counselors and I deal with and my assistant principal deals with are based on something that happens on social media and it's brought into the school and then we have to address the problem. And there's just not enough time and energy spent on that. So as a parent, 
I didn't have to do this. My children are grown up and, you know, my grandchildren. I have a grandchild that's in seventh grade right now and one that's in college. So I didn't have to deal with this so much. But I would say as a parent, you need to have open communication with your child and understand what they're doing. And right when middle school is a time when they want to start showing their independence and pushing parents away from them because they're, you know, they're all cool and grown up. Uh-uh. You should be in their room looking through things, going through their social media, calling who they're going to see. Are you saying see. they have no right to privacy? <clears throat> Pretty much, yes, because the, the bottom line is, is because that's when they most need it, but they don't want to. And honestly, this to me is the most heartbreaking thing, but one of the most difficult students I ever worked with in my past told me that she knew I loved her because I was the only person that said no and meant it. And coming from a seventh grade student, that's pretty powerful. And that'll never go away from me. And I, I live knowing that as much as I throw a fit about you know, how dare you look at my stuff or you want to know this or whatever. They need that. They, they, I tell kids all the time the reason, and these two do too, we say it in front of each other all the time, so it's a reoccurring theme. You know we care about you because if we didn't, we wouldn't ask and we wouldn't get after you about these things and we wouldn't follow through. So I think as a, for a parent of an incoming student, actually any grade, but especially in the puberty years, that open dialogue and, and staying on top of what's going on, don't, don't back off, come closer. But I do think it ha has a lot to do with teaching them to be respectful of themselves, not only of other people, but of themselves. And if you're respectful of, your, of yourself, you don't post How do you things. do that? How do you teach respect to yourself? I talk to my kids about it all. I have three teenagers myself. I have uh -huh. an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old. But I've been talking to them about being respectful, mm -hmm. what that means. You know, you, you don't put nudes on on social media you don't and as much as you think that's a like a like a self-evident thing it's, it's not, not. <laughs> you don't send them to your boyfriend you know or girlfriend that you've had for a week or two or period ever you know yeah um you respect your body you respect the words that you write you respect the things that you say yeah and it's just constant constant talk about it. Um, I don't have to do that so much with my kids, my own kids anymore, because I did so much of it do, do you, do back you when they were younger. Because the question I think uh, here was, do you start that in third and fourth grade? I yeah. mean, do you start? Yeah. I so think I think that's lower. the, I would say lower. Yeah. Kindergarten. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, maybe not the, not the nudes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, note, leave the nudes conversation out of your kindergartens. Yeah. Uh, you learned it at a discussion over dinner. <laughs> All right, uh, here's another question. So we had another, uh, we've had a couple different educators here uh, on our panels. Uh, another principal in the district, Chris Alber, was a panelist here on our first uh, discussion over dinner. And, uh, and uh, last month, or the month before, we had a conversation on elementary education, but we had a principal at, at Pine Elementary in Michigan City, and then, and they all talked a little bit about this, but. Uh, the question is, um, I know teachers spend their own money for their classroom. Do you as counselors spend a lot of money out of your own pocket? Yes. Yes? We do. Mm -hmm. A lot. Uh, so on, principals. On, yeah, I'm so, sure yeah. principals do. What, what kinds of things are you spending your money on? Clothes. Shoes. Deodorant. Socks. Food. Food. Um, um, books, hygiene. sometimes hygiene products. We wash their clothes for them. Mm. Um, so we buy our own uh, detergent, detergent mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. 
Do you um, have a, like, do you just bring those clothes home and then bring them back? Or do you have a washer and dryer at the school? We have a washer and dryer Nice. Okay. Yeah. We have, we have brought it home before, but we try to do it within the day so they can get it back right away and nobody knows. I, I imagine some of this that. could be, if not done well, could be a m- method of bullying too, right? If their clothes don't look good or if they don't have deodorant at home. And, right. and again, I mm-hmm. think a lot of people just assume, well, it's only 2 or $3, but you know, A, if they don't have the money or if they don't have the access to go get those products, it, right. it can be embarrassing, right? Right. Yeah. yeah, and we do teach them to do their own laundry. It's we not, uh, it's not just we're going to take care of it for you. Here, let's go back to the laundry area, and you throw in the pod because that's super simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a couple, lots of good questions come in. Keep on sending them. These are great. Um, are there policies in place to help and provide, or sorry, to help provide a safe environment for LGBTQ students? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there are because there, it doesn't matter wh- how you identify. We expect kindness and respect. I have no tolerance for bullying. If you ask any student at the building that's been crossways of me on that, they will tell you that very adamantly. And neither do our counselors and neither do our teachers. So if we know about it, we're going to take care of it. And that's another form where students could be bullied. So. We do a lot to address that with students, and, and as Susie said, the kindness thing. And a lot of those service learning things we talk about are to help kids that are maybe different than other kids get along. And this year we're doing something that's really amazing. We're trying to become a Champions Together school, and what that's all about is teaching our kids about ch- children with disabilities and being actively involved with them and getting to know them as people. And doing, they've done some, our kids have done some amazing things with them so that they could understand that no matter what, who or what you are or how you identify, that you're a human being with feelings and emotions and you're a lot of fun. And so we're doing some things to inadvertently address what you're talking about because it's about being inclusive in our, in our environment and what that looks like. So, yes. And it's. Um, Susie and I went to a safe zone training at uh, Valpo University, so we have our little like tags um, in our office or on our office door, and it's very interesting because a lot of the kiddos who are having um, questions about who they are and how they identify, um, it seems like they come down and share with us before they even share with their parents. So I think they know that we are safe and, you know, they have questions like what if they want to change their name to a boy or a girl's name and you know, um, I think it's really important that everybody understands that this whole like acceptance, like these kids don't even know if they're accepting themselves, how are their parents going to accept them or their parents' morals and values. And um, it gets to be a very sticky situation, but I think for the most part, they know they're safe. Well, and, I, and again, this wasn't um, said here, but I, I can speak on behalf of um, the highest demographic of teen suicide is LGBTQ uh, teenagers. Mm-hmm. And so um, obviously, providing a place uh, mm-hmm. for everyone to have a place at the table, but especially LGBTQ, right. that's, that's very important. Yep. Um, so, so if social media is the number one issue, what's number two and three? Ooh, that's a hard one. Uh, two and three, what do you guys think? Is it systemic issues? Is it poverty? Is it... Uh, well, I think a lot of things come out of poverty because 
if you don't have the resources you need to feel like you know just the Maslow thing if you don't have um, food and a safe shelter and you know uh, just basic stuff then of course school becomes a big challenge because your concentration isn't about learning your multiplication tables you're more concerned about am I going to have a place to sleep tonight and something to eat so I do think a lot of issues come out of poverty maybe not a direct line but because of that and we do have a lot of students that uh, deal with those issues. They, um, we have some students that are homeless, and we have students that are um, have drug addicted parents, right. or parents that are in prison or jail, and don't see them, or, or they live with. We have a lot of students who live with their grandparents, and that's and, true. Um, that's hard as a kid having to come to school, and you have all those other things on your on your mind. Um, maybe your dad got arrested last night. We have that happen all the time. And they still come to school and we expect them to perform in math. They can't perform in math. They're not thinking about math. They're thinking about what happened last night. They're thinking about what happened a year ago sometimes. Um, so it, it is hard for them. The, the I kids. think that's one of the awesome things about the middle school environment, though, is that we understand that the big key piece that makes us different from both elementary and high school is the social emotional learning, SEL, as it's called. And we are doing a lot of things to help in that area, and we know that's important. Our teachers have team time so that they can meet and talk about concerns with students. Hey, what are you doing? What are you seeing? Um, they meet with the counselors weekly. They meet with me weekly, and we talk about things that we could do. Um, we have teachers. We do some creative scheduling to have teachers that handle certain situations better than others, to kind of pair teachers off as sort of mentors for some of the children that are struggling. And we, you know, we're, there's always very active conversation about the social piece and the emotional piece and how, um, if we can address those things, then the other stuff comes into, you know, falls into place. And so I think that that's one of the things I love about our school is that our, our teachers are all, they just, are, I tell them all the time they're all going straight to heaven. They've all earned their angel wings because they love those kids and they'll do whatever it takes to get through those very challenging puberty moments when <laughs> the child's brain freezes up and they make a bad decision. So um, There are some kids that come to school because we're their safe place to be. Um, we've had kids that have told both Sarah and I, and I'm sure and me too. the teachers have also, um, that they don't want to go on Christmas break because they won't see us. Um, or there'll be nobody home, or they wish that they could just stay in school, or summer break is really hard for kids. Uh, you know, we like it, but, um, but it is very hard for kids sometimes to know that they have that, that amount of time where they're not going to see the people that they depend on a lot, which, which is the staff, so. That's true. Um, my, uh, just a question, not, not mine, my, I don't have a middle school yet, but. My middle schooler is having a hard time finding a group to fit into with making friends, you know. Um, what do you recommend to encourage new friendships or finding their fit in group? The extracurricular thing. Find a club, an activity, whatever, because then you automatically will have a peer group that has that interest. And I, I see that happen over and over again, just you know, one thing. And we have so many different diverse types of clubs and activities for every kid. I mean, it's not just athletics, that we have lots of things. But if you find that one activity, then you're gonna have a, a peer group to start with. Um, but I also think a lot of times we have kids come down and, and talk to the counselors about what do I need to do about this? And they talk to them about skills. 
that help. You know, how do you approach somebody and say <coughs> hi for the first time? That's what we're very fortunate because we have two awesome counselors that kind of know how to do that. Not only do they do conflict resolution on a regular basis, but they also work with some of those awkward social moments. Um, it's very strategic that they do lunch duty for sixth grade because that is they're safe people to, to get. I want those kids to know their faces and know that they can go to somebody. And believe me, they spend a lot of time working with children on just those very things. So, you know, maybe have the, the child come see the counselor and they talk about some strategies, some specific strategies. These guys do that all the time. And we introduce kids to each other, True. too. It is like sixth grade lunch is wonderful for us, be, supervising it. It takes, it takes a lot of our time um, for sure, but we do get to know the kids on a different level. And so we can make some of those connections because we know which kids are the loud kids or which kids are the funny kids or which kids are the sporty kids or which kids are, you know, whatever they are. And, and we can kind of pair them together. Yeah. And, and just them. to speak, like as a parent, I have an eighth grade daughter, I'm not in Laporte, but she doesn't have a social group and um, I encourage her all the time invite a friend over and she says hey you know what mom um, I would much rather hang out with you than hang out with kids my own age because she's just kind of a different kid you know like she's going to be a great college student but as a middle school student mm-mm, because she says I don't like middle schoolers either, so you're fine. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like them, and she and she just says um, sometimes they just don't get her. Sure. Sure. You know, and she has like she she has um, values and morals, and you know, I said, hey, why don't you hang out with the this group of girls, and she says, Mom, because they're like vaping, and I'm not doing that. And I was like, oh, what did I do right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like just speaking as my own personal experience, I'm okay with my kid coming home. Yep. Yeah. As long as they don't feel lonely. Right. As right. long as they don't. True. You know. Uh-huh. Well, I think... I think middle school, there's a lot of loneliness. It's just a natural thing. That's important to say so. then. There, there well, are I think, natural. yeah, even if you have I friends, so. um, I mean, even the kids who have a ton of friends still feel lonely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe that's one of the important messages is you're feeling lonely. You're not alone. Yeah. You know, uh, right. there yeah. are other, other kids and other people, other adults that feel lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, Deb, this is a question for you. Um, obviously, it's a topic of uh, discussion in the community as, uh, at large, and our other panels got this question, too. What are your thoughts on e-learning? Um, I think if it's done well, it's amazing. Uh, it has to be done well, though. The things that we can do with e-learning, such as having professional, de- professional development days built in for teachers, is amazing. Um, I, think I, I know, Real quick, Deb, I don't know if a lot of uh, people know, because I found this out afterwards, okay. but that the teachers are actually are learning those days, right? They're, they are. They're doing professional development they days. Are. So Right. Thus far, we haven't done anything that has to do with the weather. We actually, our first e-learning day was our teachers were meeting with an awesome um, guy, Jack Berkmeyer, and we were talking a lot about teaming and what that will look like as we come together at, in LaPorte Middle School and how will we work together to make that successful. And it was a really nice experience for our teachers, and he's very funny, so we had a good time with that. Um, in and around, when, and then there was time built in for the teachers to stop and, and answer questions at office hour times for the kids. So I also think that, well, I don't think I know, having two 
three children that have gone through college now, 100% of college is about e-learning. They, their books, their things they read, how they submit their work in college is all technology. So um, our assessments now, our, our high stakes assessments are on technology. So our kids have to get, well not have to, they already are, but they have to get um, real savvy about how to use it in a smart way. Now, it will never replace teachers and it can't. Learning is not, the best kind of learning happens with real teachers, but um, to be able to supplement and blend the teacher's instruction and technology is a really neat thing to see. If it's done well, it's, it's amazing. So I think it's, it's a really wonderful thing that we're learning and doing, and we're experimenting with what works and what doesn't. A lot of, I'm actually on the e-learning committee too. Oh. <laughs> so I, have, I happen to be on the front end of this, and we've done a lot of very strategic things to plan for this. We wanted to do some practices, and these first two have been practices to see what goes wrong, what goes well, how can we change it, how we can make it better for kids, how we can adapt to make it uh, work for all kids. And I think it's gone pretty well so far. We've gotten a pretty pretty positive feedback. We did a survey with parents and teachers after the first day that we tried it, and overwhelmingly it was positive. I mean, there are quirks and things that didn't work out the way we wanted them to, but we are working on those as we come, and our e-learning committee gets together after each one of the days and talks about okay, what do we need to do differently? How can we communicate this better? And we've come up with some really, um, I think, excellent strategies to help. I think the kids handle it way better than the adults do mm -hmm. in the beginning. Because they were born using technology, so they're pretty savvy. Do you, do you hear at all that there's some challenges, though, just because I know, for, fortunately for us, we, 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 one of us, my wife or I, can be home with right. the kids. That's probably one of the more challenging right. aspects of That's it, true. right? Um, is Absolutely, that is true, and it, it's hard. Um, however, if you're missing school for other reasons, sure. that's, that's, I mean, yeah, I've been in the childcare days, and that is very difficult. I, I totally agree with that. Um, here's another question. Great questions. Thanks for sending them in, guys. Uh, how will arts, regular art, specialty art, gym, music, differ? And, Deb, you're not going to be a fifth and sixth grade principal, so I don't, if you can't answer this, this is fine, but maybe you can speak to some of it. But how will arts... Regular art, specialty art, gym, music differ for fifth graders versus the current curriculum. Is is there going to be any arts changes in the new two schools? Or I don't know what they do in the elementaries now. So yeah. I'm, I'm not compared to the elementaries. I do know that they'll they'll be offered a lot of options. Um, and from my understanding of how the elementaries work, I I believe they're going to have more options in in that level. But I you're right. I'm not an expert on yeah. that one. So. Yeah. Um. Like with the care closet at Laporte High School, will there be one created for the new intermediate middle school? That's an interesting thought. Well, we have we have some teachers that that do do some of that, and we also have closets of clothes and things we that do. we that we give kids to. We just don't have a name for it. It's in a couple different closets, so, <laughs> so I, or in our office. Yeah, um, that's true. We have clothes. Well, I have clothes piled in my office. Um, for kids, and um, Sarah's better at putting them away in the closet. So um, we have churches that will, through our teachers, that that will bring things in for our kids too. And we um, have teachers when they clean out their kids' clothes. We we have yeah. stuff. We have we something like that. We just don't have it. We, we just don't call it. We anything. just don't call it anything. Right. Yeah. yeah, you don't. We just you didn't. We didn't help them for it. Yeah, <laughs> so. we have a cute name. 
And this year, um, during parent-teacher conferences, we did like a huge, the whole cafeteria was piled with clothes from baby clothes to adult clothes. And our families just came in and took whatever they needed, shoes, clothes. And we would like to do that every single year. Yeah, we'd like to do that every Mm -hmm. year. That was amazingly successful. Yeah. Yeah. So. How has technology, um, so Technology has diminished the attention span of everyone in this room if you're on technology, (laughs) but especially children. How has that impacted your teachers? Um, I think it's made them have to be, learn to be really on top of their game and more creative in some ways to find ways to um, inspire. But actually our teachers, I think it may just be a middle school gift, but um, because they have to deal with puberty, They are very creative at changing on a dime and coming up with new ways to do things and new strategies. And so, so I think... So it lends itself to middle school because you're yeah, just so it does. used to middle schoolers. Because you have to change up of. every 10 to 15 minutes if you want to keep their attention. And our, our teachers just learn to teach that way. So they do a lot of very creative strategies. So I, I agree. I think it lends. I think, interestingly enough, that you say that is I hear sometimes that when they when some of the students move to middle school they actually do much better because they get up and move every hour to go to another class and that physical movement and that change of pace helps some kids really do much better than just being in one space all day so um, I think that kind of fits with the middle school brain sometimes and teachers understand that and they teach that way yeah there was a question uh, that I I earlier that I got uh, about uh, essentially recess in fifth through eighth grade that is there a need for time for the students just to during the day to kind of let some steam off or yes. anything do you, do you guys program a recess in or no no but they are going to have pe every day so okay. the first two grades and then our kids will too but for at least a semester but they can also option have an option of taking it again another semester so that's going to be built in to have physical education every day and i think that yes, they do need to. Do in your that. opinion, though, that that's an important aspect because yes. I think the social aspect too, right, of a of a recess Correct. of just mm-hmm. getting, who who likes to you know be in the classroom and right. being attentive, you know, all the time. Sarah, the Sarah and I take the kids when it's nice out, nice enough, even to wear coats around the block after lunch, and that's really the only place that we have to go because there's gym classes and gyms, so we can't take them to the gym. So we take groups of kids and we just walk them around the block. And they're so excited to just go out and walk around the block. Like, is it our turn to walk around the block mm-hmm. today? Yes. Um, my my dog do that does that too. Yeah. I know, I know. Gets very excited when I come home. And that's going to be one of the nice things about our new building is that we're going to have oh. all these great access places. Yeah. That they, like, we're going to have this huge gym that's going to be next to the cafeteria that they can take the kids in and blow off steam. We're going to have yeah, all those, those. Just excited about getting fresh right. air. We'll, we'll have out. actual places that are safe to do that because Boston, if anybody knows, it's landlocked and we, they have to stay on the sidewalk when they go around the block. But they um, love it. They do. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the plan for Boston? They're going to uh, repurpose that, and it's going to have a lot of things in it. It's going to actually be rocking and rolling with all the things. They're going to have the admin office in there. They're going to have the special needs offices in there. I think oh, the superintendent move- will move into that. Yes, okay. eventually. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, they're going to put the. I think Unity is going to be moving into there. The alternative that's at. Uh, behind us at St. Joe, the Okay, in the old St. Joe Catholic yellow building there. Right. Um, There's talk, I mean, a lot of the offices, uh, I think technology is going to move into that building. So they're they're going to do some repurposing. I probably, it'll take a bit because I'll have to do some rearranging, but um, they're going to be, it's going to have a lot of things going on there. Uh, Even I've heard maybe possibly special ed preschool. 
I don't know for sure all the things yet because I think that's still in the works, but it's definitely going to have lots of things going on. So, um, what kinds of things are in middle school for um, autistic and special needs children? No, one of my favorite topics. We have the life skills program at Boston, and and I'm going to be fortunate enough to get to um, be the supervisor of that in or the principal in charge of that at the new building. Um, we have, in the life skills program, there are different degrees of things um, that the kids can do, but they actually go out into the community and do things. Um, those are the kids that I was talking about that we're working really hard with our kids to help get to know them. We are going to, in the new building, have a, a, a sensory space built in just for those kids. They have their own areas of rooms, but they do go out into the mainstream environment as well, but um, it, de depending on the, the child and if you know anything about autism, no two children are the same. And I've done a ton of research on it because I really love those kids. And when I'm having kind of a rough day, I'll go down and just hang out with them. Because they're, so, they're just so generous and loving and fun. Awesome and kids, yeah. yeah, they're awesome. And you know, they get excited when I walk in the room, which as a principal, that sometimes is hard <laughs> that doesn't to get always that happen. reaction. <laughs> so um, it just, they're just super sweet kids. And, and just learning about things you can do to um, help them be happy and, and do the best they can do. And, and um, so we do have awesome program for that. And we have a great co-op with um, some amazing professionals that do wonderful things with those kids. And then we also have the, some autistic kids that are the, the ones that are able to go into the actual gen ed population and do that. Our teachers are really great about understanding what they need to do and working with them and they do very well. So we have all, um, all over the spectrum from very included to more one-on-one, -on -one, and we handle it, I think, very well. Do you have kids with sensory disorders as well? In yes. There? Okay. Absolutely. Um, this is a question for either uh, Sarah or Susie. I'm a parent, obviously, and I'm going to have a middle schooler, like I told you. Um, what do you wish parents knew um, that, that they might not know, or what's one of the frustrating things that you hear from kids that you wish their parents knew? Go ahead, Susie. Um, that kids are stressed out nowadays. And um, I think sometimes we don't understand that middle school kids have um, stress. Why, Susie? Why are they more? I mean, because I get usually when somebody says that, I get pushed back from that to say, yeah, we had a lot of stuff to do when we were kids, too. It's so different, though. Um, I think sports in general are different. There's more. Um, travel teams that kids are on. There's more after-school things that that they do. My own daughter, you know, she's she's not home till eight o'clock at night because she's at school from after school to eight o'clock at night as a tenth grader, you know. But um, and sometimes my son, who's in middle school, won't get home from track meets till nine thirty at night. So, do you think our kids are overprogrammed and too busy? Yes. So, and I'm guilty of that as a parent too. Yeah, no, we're, we're not, and I, and I think it's very important. Uh, like we talk about here at State Street at church, it's better to look in the mirror than to point fingers. Mm -hmm. um, but I think these are important kind of corrections, though. Um, yeah. uh, so, do you recommend that? You know, do, do parents need to regulate their kids' schedule better? Do you think? Yes. 
I want to say on the flip side of that, I just had this conversation. I got one of my great parents out in the audience right now, and she said something to me today that really resonated and made me feel good, so I want to share it. She said that one of the best things I said to her when her son started middle school was that a lot of what they do, they can't help, and if you need to read something about brain research, because if you understand the adolescent brain, it helps you be more patient and um, make better choices on how you handle things as a parent. And she said that was a huge piece of advice for her that really helped. I'm going to put you on the spot. So, Do you have a book recommendation or no? Um, if you don't, I okay. have a whole, if you've been in my office, I have a library of books. So so you feel free to contact. <laughs> yes, you can come borrow. Uh, yeah. um, there, all you have to do is Google adolescent brain research and you will get a plethora of books that beyond whatever. But if you wanted something specific, absolutely email me or call me and I'll share mm -hmm. some of my more favored books because some of it's about theory and that'll zone people out. What you really need is someone that tells you the basic theory first short in a short version and then tells you how do you respond to that as a parent. And I think it has made, as an administrator, it has really helped me understand um, how to address certain cir circumstances and situations because those kids are, they're kind of, I equate it kind of to being like large toddlers. <laughs> they want to try things and do things, but they're awkward and uncomfortable and trying to catch up with themselves. And then they have the added insult of the hormone surges to their brain, which literally shuts their brains down when those surges happen, which happen often. And so they will do things and they don't even know why they did them. And when they say, I don't know, they really don't know. <laughs> And yeah. they can't help it. And that stresses them out. It does. they don't know. So that's, and now they're that's, also in trouble for it. Right. Correct. <laughs> I mean, that, that is part of that stress, too, is it that is. they really don't understand why they're doing the things that or they're doing. Or why they doing. feel that way. And then they have to explain it to their parents who are like, why did you do, do, why did you do this? Well, I don't know. But they really don't know. Um, so I think that's some of that stress, too. It's not only the outside stress of travel teams and all that stuff, but it's also... Yeah, learning to deal with those hormones. Learning to deal you know, with themselves, yeah. And if, if I can remember, and my parents, my dad's out in the audience and he has white hair and I'm pretty sure I'm responsible for most of it because I, I was the oldest and the middle school years for me were awful. I was so awkward. I was the tallest kid probably in the whole building. I'm 5'10 and I was 5'9 by then. So, And I couldn't walk and chew gum without tripping over my own feet. And I was shy, believe it or not, and super, super awkward. And those years were miserable for me. And I think part of the reason I resonates or resonates so much for me about how kids feel in that age is because I can, I can still remember, and I'm old now, and I can remember how I felt at that age and how difficult that was. So um, again, I think understanding. I wished when I was a parent in the beginning that I had had some of those books and some of that information so I would have known what to do and maybe handle things better, so. Uh Sarah, did you have anything to add to that? I did. Um, I think a couple of things that I see most often in my office is this idea that kiddos are supposed to be like these straight A students. Mm -hmm. And what we don't understand is a lot of our kiddos don't have any idea about self-worth, self-esteem, or self-confidence. So as a parent myself, I've tried to really, really um, lift my kids up instead of talking to them about their grades. Like, do, do you love yourself? Are you happy with yourself? Are you doing your best? Um, and spend 15 minutes a day with whatever your kid wants to do. And if your kid says, I don't wanna hang out with you, then you sit next to them and you say, okay, well, I wanna hang out with you. 15 minutes a day with your kid. 
what they want to do, not what you want to do, but what your kid wants to do. Um, I know uh, in a meeting we were in, um, you, Deb, you talked about the difficulty of finding teachers today. Uh, you uh, shared uh, as an example, uh, I don't know about you, but if I was going to become a, a, a school teacher, I would, gym teaching seems like a great way to go, right? <laughs> I'm going to play dodgeball 90% of the time. Uh, share Jeez. a little bit about that. Then you'd be in trouble with me. Uh, share a little bit about that, how difficult it is to find teachers uh, and, and how many you had to apply for that even. Yeah, well, that's it's right now that really resonates because as we're preparing to move to this new building, we're fortunate that we're getting to hire um, more teachers to address all these great new electives we have. And I haven't had to hire a physical edu education teacher for a good while until the last few years. And my first time I did it was actually my first year as a principal of a middle school. And I had like two pages of applicants to, to go through. It was, it was amazing. And I, you know, I was really fortunate I could pick. And that was even coming to a small school because Rochester is very small. Well, this year with trying to hire a couple of them, I literally had seven candidates. For two positions? Yes, and two of them, and it's been posted since January, by the way, and two of them backed out before we ever even got. Two went from how many, seven to five? Uh-huh. Okay. And. Um, you gotta like your odds if you're one of those five, though. Well, well, that's probably true, and interestingly enough, four out of the five are fabulous. <laughs> so I, I've, I feel fortunate, because we've found some amazing people, but but the, that thought, just because back in the day, when I, even when I started teaching it forever ago, there was a bazillion people in that area. And now there is no area where you can find a large number of teachers. Um, we've gotten to the point where it's really frightening. It scares me that we have so few to choose from. Is it because, that, I mean, is this, is this communal kind of problems that it's hard to get people? Because, you know, we, we talk a lot to corporations and things like that. And they have a hard time getting some professionals to move here. Is it that, or is there just a lack of teachers as a whole? It's not the community. It's okay. it's it's the lack of teachers as a whole in this state. It's it's all my colleagues. I'm very active on a state level. I sit on the Indiana, Indiana Middle Level Education Board, and I meet with um, principals and teachers from the whole state. Every region is covered, and we all talk about these things and lament about how difficult it's become, especially those of us who've been around for a long time. Um, it's nothing like it was. Um, it's, it's a, a, I think it's a national problem. I don't even think it's a state problem. I think it's a national problem. And as, and you don't want to get me on my soapbox because I'll glaze everybody over. My teachers can attest to that. But <laughs> the bottom line is I think that there has been a, a real difficult um, change in how we treat educators and the lack of finance, respect, um, just all kinds of things. I could go on and on, but I, I think, well, you see, if you watch the national news, all the strikes that are happening and all the pushback folks are giving and, and the different situations, it is a national problem. And so it, it, it lands everywhere, including Laporte. I think that, you know, this community is an amazing community to come into, so I don't ever hear anybody not wanting to come here because yeah. of the community or something like that. It, it's just th there is nobody to start with, so you know we're all fighting over the same people. So, and then, um, so then, uh, see, we have a, an issue trying to get teachers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we obviously we all know there's an issue with teacher pay. We had a, um, we had the principal here, uh, Zach Huber, um, who was here. 
in January, and he shared a story about how he was on um, WIC when he was a teacher because he, he, was, he qualified uh, financially. But w- what can you do then, or what can we do as community members, as parents, to support our teachers? That's an amazing question. I'd say it starts with the respect piece. Um, I, I know, I, I think about when I first was in education and where, where it is now, but even, even before that, as a student, I knew that if, if I was disrespectful to one of my teachers or if I did something that I shouldn't have done, that my parents would kill me. <laughs> I would have been dead. And now the, the focus kind of turns around oftentimes to, you know, what did you do to my child? So I think the open communication and respect and working together, because it really does take a village to raise kids, and I think we all need to work together because our kids in our future, all of our kids, our community kids, our own kids, um, that we have to, to support each other. I think that the way folks pay attention to, and I don't want to make this political or personal on any level, but who you vote for. Pay attention to the people that support education and care about kids. And, and I think the apathy of folks not paying attention to the grassroots level of what's happening in schools in our country and, and what's, you know, why people are, and you know, you say the WIC thing. I remember when I started teaching, I couldn't afford to have insurance for myself and my kids. And when my child, I didn't have insurance probably the first 10 years I was teaching because I couldn't afford it. And when one of my children fell and broke a collarbone, I had to pay payments for a year to pay off that. So I've been in that situation. And I have what I call my baby teachers, the young ones right out of college who don't know how to, to pay off their student loans and be, you know, they, they don't have enough money to do that. And they're working weekend jobs and summer jobs. And do you have teachers that are working more than one job? Absolutely, I do. We all do. All of us do. Yes, we do. And that's very common because they, they can't afford not to. And their passion is education and being there. Because if you're going to be in education now, it has to be like in your heart and soul. Because you wouldn't do it for the pay, I can guarantee you. Or you get out of it really quickly then. Correct. Right? Yeah. And that does happen. But, you know, these, the folks that are doing it now, that's their heart and soul. And that's what they're all about. And so they do what they have to do, including working multiple jobs to do that. So I think um, how the community can help is first the respect, but also the, the support of, um, I, you can't say financial because everybody has their own thing, but support in terms of how they vote, what they're paying attention to, who they talk, you know, when, when you're talking, there's supports on lots of levels. Um, I wish there was an easy answer to that one, but I'm not, you know, I don't think that there is. I think it's a, it's a, a huge problem, but it's national. And I, I just think there's a, again, we, we get bogged down, and one of the reasons we have these conversations is because, again, I don't know how to solve and fix federal issues. I just don't, no, I don't uh, because either. they're bigger than any of us. True. Um, and we can vote whoever we want, but it's still large, large issues. Uh, the reason we have these conversations is kind of what can we do locally? And I, and I think that's a good way to start is showing respect you know, to your teachers and, and just appreciation that they chose this position and guidance counselors and principals chose this uh, career because it certainly didn't do it to get rich. 
when I uh, could say something to be sort of funny is that we, we sure like to eat. So when people bring things no, in, that's, all, that's super helpful. Uh, yeah. But uh, I think, you know, but it, really the sweet thing, the, the things that the little things make a big difference for teachers, they really do. I mean, community members do bring in, like, you know, maybe cookies at the holiday or some fun thing. We've had different things where people have come in. Um, again, one of my parents out here comes in and does bulletin boards for us in the hallways because they're big and we have a lot of them and no one has time. <laughs> but we like them to look good or having coming in and, and you know spending time with just doing little things for for us um, we have a grandma that has been coming in for three or four years and she does once a week she does all three lunch duties and I want to give her a hug and a kiss every time I see her because it just so happens that it seems like every time she comes in even though it's the same day I don't know how it happens but I'm always shorthanded run around like a nut and that extra set of hands makes me just want to weep with happiness when I see her and I know that's a little thing but it makes a huge difference so I think some of those just those you know being there when we call and need something for um, I don't know uh, textbook adoption right now we're going I a couple parents are coming in and looking through the books for us to give us an opinion or what, what textbook adopt oh you're trying to figure out new textbooks. right okay. and we like to have parent input so that but then you have to read a book and that's can't always be fun and you know and find time to do it but i have a couple parents that are doing that and how, so, how, do, how do people find out what your needs are well we always advertise things and we put stuff out at all our open houses and ask for volunteers um however i think sometimes it's it's more word of mouth than anything because people are busy and they work and they have lives so sometimes it's just like the little thing that works out, but with me, what's happened is as we've gotten certain people, they just sort of are so kind, they stick with us, and then they, they find us a few others, and so it sort of branches out kind of word of mouth, I think. Um, so I, I, I wish I had a, again, I, like I could figure out the way to, to get them in, in in mass, that would be awesome, but I haven't figured that out yet, so. We have just a couple more minutes left, and I, I appreciate you guys so much being here and everyone here. So if you have another question, please do send it in. We're almost done here. Um, you stated that Boston does a lot of service learning. Will the intermediate and middle school, fifth through eighth grade, get to do this, or will this just be limited uh, with the combination of the schools? Limit, I, I so will it just be, I think, I think the question might be, will this just be seventh and eighth, because you'll be in seventh and eighth, or will this be a whole entire, like, I can't imagine that it wouldn't be a whole entire thing. I okay. mean, I only have control over 7th and 8th, so I can promise you that it will happen in 7th and 8th, but I can't imagine that it wouldn't be in 5th and 6th as well, simply because those teachers, uh, I happen to know the 6th grade teachers that are currently in Boston have a passion for that too, and I know that most teachers do, so I, I can't imagine that it wouldn't be 5 through 8. I, I don't see it being any other way. All right. Um, is there anything you guys want to, uh, any kind of... Um bits of wisdom or any kind of uh, um, maybe something that people don't understand that you guys would like to address uh, on to, to anybody in here or anybody watching about what you do so that people can understand it or any ways that they can help you guys as guidance counselors? No? You can be truthful too. I mean, if you need to talk bad about Mike Otonowski, go ahead. Bring it, I'm used to it. I think... I'll I don't know, Sarah and our, our job is, is so fast paced. Um, mm -hmm. We go from minute to minute to minute to minute. Sometimes we don't eat lunch. Well, usually we don't eat lunch. Um, or if we eat lunch, we're eating with kids. Um, and we wear so many different hats 
you know, we're involved in the academics, we're involved in their um, home, the home things that come into school, we're involved with their friendships and what else? I mean, it's just a plethora of things yeah. that we do each day. So each day's different and active and we love the kids, we love your kids with all of our hearts and, and um, we would do anything for them because uh, middle, middle school kids are awesome. They really are. I don't think so. I think we just, uh, we really work hard to be non-judgmental and accepting. I mean, I know kids come in my office and they're scared to tell me something. And I'm like, you know what? It's a safe space in here. What happens in here stays in here. I don't tell parents. I don't tell teachers, you know. So I think, like, our confidentiality and the way we're trusted, you know, that that's heartwarming. Every day when I go home, I'm like, okay, like I got some kids that trust me, and I think that's important. We're gonna we're gonna end here with one last question. I want you to think about this, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna give a couple of thank yous. But the question I'm gonna ask you and get an answer from all of you is, what is the question we end every discussion over dinner with? Is what brings you hope? And so you can think about that for a second. I I want to say a couple of things. Um, Showing your appreciation for educators literally is an email away, or it's a card away. It's, uh, it's uh, a, a comment when you meet them, uh, uh, when you go to your parent-teacher conferences. It's, it's a little just glad you chose this job. Because I, I truly believe um, educators become educators because they have a calling. Um, and that you, you don't do it, obviously. There's, there's better methods to making money. There's better, better methods of of getting prestige in a community. Uh, they do it because they want to help. And, um, and I, I've been fortunate with my children um, at Riley Elementary to have great educators. And I know um, Boston, I know educators here uh, that are from Boston and other schools that are great at what they do. And just showing them um, that you appreciate them and giving them your gratitude, I think goes a long way. Because all people want to know, typically, is that you notice that you notice. And so um, I want to thank the, the panel here for being here today. Can you give them a round of applause? And once again, I want to thank our, our kitchen team. Uh, Joel Crane, again, led the kitchen team today. He did a great job making all of the food. And he had Jeff Minard helping him uh, do that. They, they split the quiches up. And uh, each one made a quiche. I won't tell you which one, just so I don't, because I, I don't know actually which one they did make. Um, but thank you so much, Joel and Jeff. Uh, food was great. Um, thank you to our barista staff, uh, the, the Cooper girls, for uh, making uh, all of our coffee and drinks and stuff like that. Thank you to Pastor Becky Crane, who um, does so, so much work to help produce these kind of events. To Jason Clemens uh, and Joe Fratina, who's working at our tech in the back. Uh, to Kelly Tanger, who uh, does uh, our content duration, uh, sends lots of questions. They were probably overwhelmed with all the questions Kelly came up with, but you probably could tell she was an educator, um, and her questions are always so, so good. Um, we have so many people that give uh, their time and their energy to make these happen each month, and I'm so grateful for all of you, um, and I, I hope you continue to be part of this as we go forward um, in May. So we'll end with this last question, and Sarah, I'll start with you. Oh. What brings you hope? I think what brings me hope is 
when I can leave at the end of the day and I can shut it off um, because I know that when I go back it's going to be different but the same and the you know, kids are always talking to me asking questions coming to my office wanting to eat with me maybe running stairs with me at lunch um, so it gives me hope that these kids have hope for themselves great so Susie what brings you hope um, the kids period um, I love seeing their smiles and I love it when they run up to you and hug you and even in Walmart my kids are like gosh don't you my own kids gosh do you know everybody in Laporte you know do you know every kid in Laporte no but um, just the kids they they're so honest and and wonderful and and hopeful themselves even the ones who have such hard lives there's they still have hope so they give me hope yeah that's great Deb what brings you hope I'm going to piggyback on Susie's, but mine's twofold, and it's probably because of our age difference. But it's the kids that are our students' kids, and it's the kids that are my teacher kids. Um, the the students are our future and our hope, and those light bulb moments and those amazing things that they do and say, and even the the ones that struggle, they're just amazing, and that that's huge. But also, all the teachers that come in and they are so excited and they have all these great ideas and they come running down to tell me about them and you know some of them are so outrageous I'll say do I need to sit down <laughs> first and but there's just the passion and excitement of what they want to do to help the kids so it's twofold it's my student kids and my teacher kids they give me hope and I, I think that that combined will change the world in such amazing ways so well, you three give me hope, and I'm glad that you guys are doing what you do, and uh, I'm excited to see where this new uh, middle and intermediate school will go, and uh, we hope that we can support you as you guys uh, continue to um, love and transform and educate our kids. So, again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for streaming with us, and uh, we'll see you in May. Thanks so much.